Today we're going to talk about reframing our minds that what we see may not actually be what is real. That we actually have to reframe our perception. I'd like to, you know, the, uh, the evangelist Jay John is going to come to our church. He's going to come in September. And then he's going to come in our Christmas carol concert. And then he's going to do a crusade with us in the new year. Oh, it seems so far away. <laughs> I'd like you to just, uh, if you don't know him, I want to introduce him to you. But also, just watch the screen for a moment because what you see may not be what actually is. Just watch the screen. There was a man at an airport and he wanted to buy a bag of very small donuts and a coffee. So he buys his bag of small donuts and he buys his coffee and he's looking for somewhere to sit. But all the tables are all taken. But there's one table where there's one man sitting and he thinks, oh, I'll just go and sit opposite him. So he goes there, he puts his coffee down, he puts his bags down, he gets his coat off, puts it on the chair, sits down, <sighs> opens his coffee, has a sip, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down. The man opposite stretches over, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down, smiles. The other man cannot believe what he has just seen. He cannot believe that the man has just stolen one of his donuts. He's thinking, what, I mean, what is the world coming to? What is the world? But then he thinks, well, maybe, you know, the guy's not quite there or, you know, he better not say anything in case the guy kind of erupts and he's violent. But he gives him one of these, if looks could kill look. <laughs> he picks up the bag of donuts, he takes out another donut and he moves it near to his coffee, <laughs> as far away from the other man. While he's sipping his coffee, the man stretches over picks up the bag, takes out another donut, starts eating it, puts it on the table, pushes it back, smiles. The other guy can't believe it. He's done it twice. <laughs> He's stolen two of my donuts. He's amazed. He can't believe it. He's really angry, but he decides not to say anything. Anyway, the man gets up to leave. So the other man thinks it's about time you left, you donut thief. He put his coat on, he picked up his bag, he then picked up the bag <laughs> of donuts. There's one donut inside. He takes it out, he breaks it in half, he puts half in his mouth, puts half on the bag, he moves the bag, he smiles, he waves, off he goes. The other guy thinks, I'm not touching that donut, you donut thief. You're probably full of infection. Anyway, he looks at his watch. Oh, it's time for me to go. He gets up, he puts his coat on. He then bends down to pick up his bag and sitting on top of his bag was his bag of donuts. complaining he was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts when in fact the other man was sharing his donuts 
Now, listen to me, listen to me. God owns all the donuts. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But maybe somebody isn't stealing your donuts. Maybe they're sharing theirs. You see, the lens that we look through is really important. Our perception, how we frame what's going on is really important. I've got three pairs of glasses. Um, I've got uh, a, a computer pair of glasses, my black glasses, and uh, if I, I look at the computer screen with them. I, I've got my general pair of glasses, which are my blue ones, and you'll see me often wearing those. These are my speaking glasses. They, these are my grey ones for speaking in, and uh, they help me see my notes a little bit better. I, I've nicknamed them. Those of you who know the Bible, this is Urim and this is Thunim, uh, you know. But uh, if I go outside, though, and I, I go outside and I, I've got my computer glasses on, forget, you know, and just go outside, I see men as trees walking. I really do. It's, and I'm looking through the long the wrong lenses. Have you seen those people who should really buy bifocals, but they have one pair of glasses and they read something and put it on top of their head and they read something and put it on top of their head. It's like, you know, flipping up and down. And you think, just buy yourself some bifocals. Why don't you? The lenses we look through are really important. And we can do the same with our perception of what we think is really going on. We have a lens that we we look through. Social psychologists call it this. They, they call it cognitive bias. That, that actually we frame reality according to our perception. We think somebody's stealing our donuts when actually they're sharing theirs. We frame reality because we create a personal story or a subjective story, a personal reality that we think is true, but it's not actually true. It's not actually the reality of what's going on, and we need to reframe. Two people can get the same feedback from the same boss. One person can think, oh, that boss is really fair and kind, and the other person can think the boss is really harsh and difficult because of their own perceptions in their minds of what's going on. Two different people can come to church. One person can come to church thinking that, that the church is a great place. Another person could come to church thinking, oh, they're only after your money. And so every time we take an offering, say, see, I told you so, they're after their money. And it's their perception of what's going on. Those of you who know my testimony know, know that uh, my father, he went to build a railway in Africa and uh, when I was three years old, he came back when, he were, when I was five years old. When I was eight years old, he died. And so uh, some people's perception of God is according to their relationship with their father. And my perception with God was he was a distant hero. And it, the church actually has been a mother and father to me and has helped me to see how God is. I wonder what your perception of God is and sometimes that's really related to your own relationship with your own father. To be healthy, we have to think through our automatically response thinking 
You see, we've got to define this problem. Unless we define this problem, we won't solve this problem. But we all sometimes have these automatic responses. We all really want to control everything that's going on. If you don't agree with me, just ask yourself, well, who actually does have the TV remote in my house? You know, Kathy reaches over to that remote, and I'm going, oh, all right. You know, I, I don't really believe it. Like, I, I know there's some things about evolution that we should take on board, uh, uh, but I don't really believe in that because I think if evolution was really true, a fleshy pouch would have now evolved in men's hips so they can put the remote there. Don't, don't you agree, ladies? Would that be true? Or, or are you like, are you one of those wives that have, you don't have nails, you have talons, and if he goes for the remote, you're going, no. Sky sports rules. No. But, you know, we, we do try and want to have control. But I want to say to you, control is an illusion. Unless we reframe, and that's why we need to reframe, and not stick to all, all our automatic responses and references. It's really hard. It, you know, when something happens, it's, it's really difficult sometimes for us to I know what's going on. Instead of identifying the situation, you know, calming down a bit and, instead, and trying to identify some of our automatic responses, oh, I've seen one of these people before. I know what those pastors are like. Oh, we had a pastor who used to be like that, or a pastor who was like this, and this other church I went to, that's what the pastor's like. Instead of all of that, why don't we identify automatic thoughts, slow down a little bit, find some objective support or evidence, and then begin to move from there. You see, you cannot control what happens in your life totally. You cannot do that. But you can control how you frame it. That's what you can do. You see, Paul the Apostle, he, he thought that when he went to Rome, uh, when he got to Rome, that was his kind of crowning moment of his ministry. In fact, he even engineered the situation so that he could go to Rome. He, he appealed to Caesar and he, he wanted to do that. You know, in the early church, when, when it was said, uh, you go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, that, that phrase, the uttermost parts of the world, in their minds was Rome. That actually that was the center of the world, and from there we can go everywhere. And so Paul was desperate to get to Rome. He thought that that's where he would be able to really release and preach the gospel. And what happened when he got there, he was, on, he was put straight under house arrest. But actually, he reframed that. He could have said, God, I could do so much here. Why is it, oh God, you don't answer prayer. Surely you know that we could get the gospel out. But actually, when he was there, he reframed the whole incident because he was chained to the guards. And he thought to himself, well, they can't get away now. I can witness to them. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, you know, if we could chain non-Christians to us? Maybe that idea doesn't have that many legs. But this is how Paul reframed it when he wrote to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It may be on your handout there. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, this opportunity came so that he could witness to everybody in the palace. He reframed the reality of what was going on. Instead of saying, oh God, I'm, I'm in prison here, he actually said, no, God, you're using this situation. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I thought I was going to be the one that shared the gospel, but what's happened is lots of people have taken confidence for me. He reframed it. Let's recap the last few, few weeks. First of all, we did the replacement principle, and we need to replace lies with truth. We replace the lie that sits in our hearts with actually what is the truth. And then we talked last week about the rewire principle. And I'm not going to drill you like I did last week. I apologize for last week. But write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. You can actually rewire your brain. You can dig a trench of truth. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. It changes your automatic way that you think. But this week, let's talk about the reframing of your mind, that we begin to restore your perceptions on your past and on your future. Listen, somebody is not stealing your donuts, they are sharing theirs. Let's reframe. Let's learn how this happens. There are two moves that we need to make where we change the picture of what we see. You know, you... Have you, I don't know whether you notice this, but you can get frozen in time in some moments, can't you? You know, 25, on our 25th wedding anniversary, Kathy and I went to Canada. It's a beautiful place. We went to a place called Lake Louise. Oh, have you ever been to a place as gorgeous as Lake Louise? Now, we know that Africa's the most beautiful part of the world, but just go with me for a moment. In Lake Louise, it's turquoise water. And then as you look over the turquoise water, there's like glass. You look up, and there's a glacier with ice just trickling down off the mountains, and there's a pine trees around. And Kathy and I stood on the edge of, of Lake Louise, and there's a little boat just drifting into the distance, and we were holding hands, gazing into the distance. And it was just a great moment. And I, I looked across to Kathy, so beautiful Kathy is, and I said, you see all this beauty here, Kathy? And she said, yeah, it's just great. I said, it's not as beautiful as you. <laughs> now, that was on my 25th wedding anniversary. How long have we been married, dear? Just give us a recap. 44 years, yeah. Now, yeah, I, I was a child. <laughs> but I want to say to you, I can't say that I'm a romantic person if I'm always going back to 25 years ago. You know, you can't live in that, even though it was a great moment, and you can't live there and say, oh, I'm so romantic because 25 years ago I said to Kathy she was as nice as Lake Louise. No. 
this last Valentine's Day, I decided to cook for Kathy. I was cooking steak and say, let me do this for you. You know, and it's so much so, I spilled fat all over me. I burnt my thumb, I burnt my foot. <laughs> Love hurts sometimes, doesn't it? But you know what? You might be frozen in a moment. This is kind of not so nice. You might be frozen in grief. You might be frozen in hurt. How are you going to reframe that? How are you going to not live in that moment? There are two important moves that you really need to make. Remember, these messages, I want them to be simple and clear. I don't want to be your professor. I'm longing to be your pastor. The first thing is we have to thank God for what he didn't do. That's the first move. And then the second move is we have to look for his goodness. You know, thanking God for what he didn't do is really important. I I was once asked to go to be a part of a church as a youth and children's worker in California. And, you know, I was really thinking, man, it's great, because at that time we were in Scotland. We were planting a church where, I, you know, do you realize that the Scottish don't like the English sometimes? I never realized that till we were there. And they were throwing bricks at us while we were doing that. So, you know, we're in Scotland, weather, California, weather. Thinking, hmm, you know, let me weigh the options here. You know, in Scotland, I'm not sure about the English sometimes, you know. In California, oh, we just love the way you talk, you know, and all of that. So I'm thinking, this is a good option. I got a phone call that the leader of the person who'd invited us, the kind of overseer, had said no. And so we couldn't go. And that opportunity closed. Now, for that following week, obviously, my perception was, oh, this is not good. But actually, when I look back on that time, it wasn't long after that time that uh, another ministry opportunity opened up to me uh, to be the pastor of an American military church in Oxfordshire. And uh, through that, I began to uh, make some uh, godly connections. I won a scholarship to a college where I did my master's degree in the United States anyway, and then came back, made some connections, and that was my journey into, into where we are now. And so, actually, as I look back at it now, the no was a good thing. I wonder what you need to look back at and say, oh, thank God that he'd said no to that. If we're wise and if we trust, we sing a song, don't we? Even though I don't know it, he's working. I'm not going to sing it for you now. You know, if we're wise, we can trust that he's working even when we're not aware of it. He's working even though we don't like it. You know, there are some women in the house saying, oh, I'm so glad that God said no to that guy. Oh, somebody said amen there. You know, thank you, God, for the great escape. Don't look round now, ladies. This is a key moment. And there'll be some guys in the house saying, I am so glad that that didn't work out. 
I wonder if you could bring yourself to saying, you know what, I wanted that job, but actually God's got something else for me. And that actually I need to thank God for the no. Doesn't it say in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are the highest than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows more than we do. He knows things, and that's why he says no. We always think that what we asked for is good, but sometimes God can see down the road and say, that's not good for you. That, I'm going to say no. A week, as I say, after the California thing, my feeling was a lot different, but now I am so thankful that those prayers were not answered or at least answered no. God is so good. Your perception changes over time. So the first thing is, thank God for what he doesn't do. He doesn't grant you. And secondly, what we need to do today, if we're going to reframe our minds, is let's look for the goodness of God. You see, we often talk about this phrase, collateral damage, don't we? But I wonder if we can train ourselves to see collateral goodness. That actually, what you look for is often what you find. Do you, do you know that? If you will train yourself and make a habit to try and see the good in something as a habit, then you'll begin to find it. It was a young man struggling one time with his faith, and, and his mother said to him, you know, why don't you go down the road and talk to the retired pastor that lives there? Maybe he can help. And he didn't really want to go, but he didn't want to please his mother. He said, okay, I'll go. And he sat down with the retired pastor, and he said, I just can't see God in the world anywhere. And the retired pastor said this, funny is, I can see him everywhere. You will find what you look for. If you have a critical idea about people, you will find reasons to criticize them. You will find it. If you've been uh, abused one time uh, you know, by, by a teacher at school who's told you things, you will find that other people will do the same because you're looking for it. We can all be negative about our lives, but we, we have our least favorite days of the week. I hope your least favorite day isn't Sunday. <laughs> but you know, the Bible says this. In Psalm 118, verse 24, it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let me tell you an interesting thing about that. You, have you ever read the, in the Last Supper where it says that the disciples and Jesus sang a hymn? You know which hymn it was that they were singing? This is the day that the Lord has made. Part of the Passover meal is Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's put that in context of what Jesus is doing on the night before the cross. He is saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. And doesn't the scripture say, for the joy set before him, he laid down his life. How are you framing your future? How are you framing things? You see, what Jesus was doing, what we must do, is begin to look for the plan of God and the goodness of God. Craig Grishel, who's a pastor in 
in uh, America wrote a book. And his book was about a very difficult time in his life where he had some grief and losses, really difficult things with his wife's health. And the title of the book was called Hope in the Darkness, Believing God is Good When Life is Not. Be a great book for you to order, Believing Life is good, God is Good When Life is Not. And it sold out within two hours. And everybody was saying, Craig, you must be so happy, but he was frustrated. And say, man, there's so many people that want that book. I really feel it's a burden on my life. Why is it that the, the printers and the, the deliverers are just holding people up from hearing this? As a young couple, uh, Maria and Rance, and uh, Maria got sick and then she was well. But then uh, as the book came out, she was ill again. And she ordered the book. And she ordered it from Amazon. I just want to say there are other booksellers. And uh, the book didn't come. There was a long uh, kind of delay on it. And his wife became more ill and ill. In fact, she died. And she passed away. And in the week of the funeral, in fact, two days or a day before the funeral, Rance gets an Amazon package. He opens it. And he pulls out a book that says, Hope in the Darkness believing that God is good when life is not. You see, for the author, he's frustrated that the book couldn't be delivered. For the grieving husband, it came right on time. There is the essence of reframing our thinking. Thank God for what he doesn't do. Look for goodness. You see, you can even pre-frame or reframe your future. Some people, they let me be, I'm saying this in a kind way, okay? But it won't sound kind. Some people are like vultures. You know, a vulture is a bird, it can smell something dead over a mile away. And it will hover and look around until it finds roadkill. Some people will always look for the dead, the negative. They they can spot it a mile away because they're framing their future. Oh, it's not going to work out. Oh, I know what they are like. I wonder if other people, though, I've, I've noticed that some people like hummingbirds. You know, it's a really small bird. Its wings beat 20 times a a second, and all he looks for is nectar. And I wonder which you are kind of preconditioned to. Don't don't let people pick your frame for you. Oh, if you go there, that's not going to work. Hang on, you've got to decide what the frame is. I I had an English teacher one time. I actually, his name's in my mind right now, but I better not say it out loud. And he said, Ryan, you, he used to never call me Mark. He said, Ryan, you'll never write anything worthwhile. You're just so sloppy and untidy, which was true, but the bit where you never write anything. I thought the other day, I should send that guy one of my books. (laughs) Thank you, English teacher. I wonder if you're allowing some people to put a frame on your life to tell you what's going to happen. 
And actually, you need to begin to say, well, actually, God, I'm going to base what I frame things on your truth and on what the reality is of how you are saying things. Sure, take advice. Sure, you know, take counsel. But have you really seen what God is doing for you? Have you ever noticed that a bronze medalist is always happier than a silver medalist? Have you noticed that at the end of a game? It's not an incidental finding, but a person, in fact, has done research studies that after studying the reaction of silver medalists and bronze medalists, they're completely different. You know, Cameroon, they uh, came third in the Africa Cup of Nations. They were absolutely ecstatic that they won on penalties. The, <laughs> come on. The Egyptians, however, lost on penalties in the final, and Senegal uh, won the final, and they went home crying. Instead of saying, we've got the silver. Silver medalists are often happier than bronze medalists. Have you noticed that? It's part of human thinking. In fact, it's a, a phenomenon called counterfactual thinking. You're second, not third, but you're not as happy as the one who came third. Silver medalist says, oh, I could have won the gold. Why couldn't I win the gold medal? Bronze medalist says, yay, I got a medal. What are you like? Silver medal is one after losing. Bronze medal is one after winning. What are you like? You will find what you look for. If you look in your past that you know, you've, you've had a bad church experience, if you keep freezing in that moment, if you keep framing your reality about that, then church, you'll see that. You've got to start stepping back and saying, is this different? Is this person different? Is that person different? We don't appreciate what we have but we feel sad about what we don't have. You've got to look for the goodness. Let's be grateful for our blessings. Doesn't Psalm 103 say, count your blessings and forget not his benefits? We need to understand there are blessings far outweigh some of the things. And I know some of you are struggling right now. Life is, after all, full of choices. If you're having a tough season right now, and God bless you if you are, we're here to help. But now's the time to reframe, even preframe it, even say what it's going to be like by relying on the truth that you know, relying on what you know is going to happen. If you're really lonely like right now, do you know that God says, I will never leave you? If you're struggling, do you know that God says, I will provide for you? That's how you can begin to reframe that which is happening in your life. It's not just positive thinking. This is based on truth of what you already know and what you know God can do. He can do it for you. Let's reframe. Come on, would you please stand with me? Now, 
I've tried to be both practical and spiritual, but here, here's the thing. Some reframing is going to need revelation. Receiving new wine is actually going to need revelation in your heart. Let's reframe by thanking God for what he didn't do and focus on the goodness that is coming out of things. Close to my heart is Joseph from the Old Testament. This is what Joseph said when his brothers had sent him away. He said, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good and to accomplish now what is being done, the saving of many lives. God told you no so he could save somebody else through you. God said to you, don't do that so that he could lead you to another place and use you more. Some things that have caused you pain as you recycle that pain and and say, God, well, at least this bit was good. You'll share that story with somebody who is really struggling. And without your story, they would go under. So as you share your goodness story, you save them. Let's reframe. Let's begin to say, thank you that you didn't give me everything I asked for. And God, I see your goodness. New wine is a revelation. I want to say to you, we're in a season, a new season in our church where new wine will come. New wine for you. It's not just for the church. It's for you as an individual. I want to just kind of almost proclaim it, prophesy it, decree it over your life. Maybe you could raise your hand with me and just say, Lord, I want the new wine but come on let's reframe let's replace lies with truth let's rewire our minds by thinking it confessing it writing it until we believe it and let's reframe by saying thank God that you don't give me everything I think is good for me and thank you Lord I see the goodness now and you can, even if you don't see it now, believe the truth what you know of God. He is your Father who loves you. He's got great things for you. He's got plan and purpose for you. Come on, lift your hands with me and just receive that. It's new wine time. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill us, Lord, we pray.